Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals. From the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers with your host, Bang and Dang. Bang right here, Dang on the my left this time instead of the usual right. Oh. But we are here for episode two. Part two. I know you guys love the old part ones and twos. The old, the old uh, sagas. Yeah. The old part two of O.J. Simpson murder case. Part but, one, we covered the the murder and the infamous Bronco chase. All these years, I didn't. I thought that was uh, O.J.'s Bronco that they were in. It. I didn't know that it was his buddies or the, his drivers. They had a identical ones. Right. I didn't know that. All these years. That was on an episode of uh, Pawn Stars, too. The infamous uh, Bronco. Uh, Ricky was going to buy it, but the guy wanted so much money for it. And he said, I think that was OJ's Bronco that was on there. Oh, was it OJ's? Because yeah. the Bronco used in a chase is at some it's crime a, museum right like now. Henry Ford. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool if it was. Uh, anyhow, it's, it's come to our attention that we have to, uh, for some reason, put a disclaimer on the beginning of every episode from here on out for the. For the serious head, serious heads out there, yeah. Some of you, uh, most of you that listen, uh, get what we do here. It's not some. Uh, if you went back and listened to, first of all, the first few episodes and many episodes be after that, we've clearly explained on here. We're not experts. We don't. Mm-mm. We're not historians. Mm-mm. Just two average dudes drinking a couple beers and learning about history with you guys. We learn with you guys. We're not here to teach right. you guys history. Just like one comment said, it seems like they're reading about it the first time. Well, we are. Well, at least I am. Some of the some of the stuff is, yeah, for pretty much the very first time. Skim right. through it to get the, uh, the research and all that stuff to get the episode together. But we do it purposely so that way we're reacting to the story in real time Legitly. on the episode. Like, Legitly. Right. So that way it's real reactions and real like, oh, that's crazy. And we mispronounce that, names. <clears throat> that way we can have real, real reactions and real, um, conversations and right. go off script a little bit about right. it. And that's, that's what the show is. The show is never, ever, 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 ever meant to be serious, a serious or, history or, straight right. up. You're going to learn like a documentary type no, deal. Never, no, ever. No. no, sorry. So if that's what you're so, looking for, you might as well shut us off right. Must have shut us off right now. I thought my fan just started on fire, but it was just a piece of plastic. And we're yeah, in so, my garage is 110 degrees right now. So, so. we thought we'd put that out there for yeah. everybody that uh, is tuning in for the first time and thinking you're getting a straight up no uh, BS 
straight history lesson here. Mm-mm. No, we're gonna go off script. We're gonna we're gonna do our stupid little humor. We're gonna murder names through the oblivion, as one uh, comment uh, said. No pun intended on the murder part um, <laughs> for this episode, anyways. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's what we do. We're not a serious podcast. We don't take ourselves serious. We're not. We don't think of ourselves as true podcasters, podcasters like no. that we don't no. we just do the show for fun and hopefully if we can entertain a couple people and people can learn some stuff at the same time and that's fine but that's what we do other, other words other than that don't mind the uh fan sound blow i'm trying to get the the fan sound out of there as much as possible but it's literally like a hundred degrees where we're at right it, now it big 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 hit heat wave in the mid- midwest right now so. and as i've been saying for the past six months uh studio two is still under operation uh, <laughs> still under construction he's been saying that for six years before it even was a studio so right. <laughs> with that being said we'll get into the episode like i said uh part one we covered the actual murder and the investigation of the murder and then the infamous Bronco chase and ending with OJ getting taken into custody and kind of covered a little bit of the news coverage that was going on and the media hysteria and the public that were literally lining overpasses while the Bronco was coming down the freeway saying, run, OJ, run. Right. So, yeah. And another uh, uh, historic, historic event happened here, the conception of one of the Kardashians. Which one was it? <laughs> she was already born by now. Courtney? She oh, right. She was already born by now, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so take that out of there. She uh, was already born by now? Pretty sure. No, no not 94. She's 04, 14, 04, 14, 24. She's more than 30 years old. That's for sure. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, here we go. We're on to the uh, trial, and what you guys are going to get here is uh, in-depth evidence, cross-examination, everything said in the trial from day one to day last, and the infamous, obviously, you guys know what happens at the end of the trial, and then we'll get the reactions of the nation and what happened to uh, OJ afterwards. I'm pretty sure we all know that, too. Right. But moving on, Simpson wanted a speedy trial, and the defense and prosecuting attorneys worked around the clock. For several months to prepare their cases. The trial began on January 24th, 1995, seven months after the murders. Well, that's not a speedy trial. Well, I mean, speedy as can be, I guess. Right. It was televised by closed-circuit TV camera. Yeah, I remember. Via court TV, court TV obviously. Yeah. And in part by other cable and no, new, n- uh, network news outlets. There's the first botched uh, Sorry, guys. (laughs) For 134 days, this trial lasted. Judge Lance Ito presided over the trial in the C.S. Foltz Criminal Courts building. All right, so we got a 134-day trial on television every single day. Everybody had uh, Court TV back in the day. I don't know what it was called. Was it called Court TV? Always Court TV. Now it's True TV. Is it? That's Court TV, yeah. Court TV still has their, like, little thing on, like, um... Pluto and all that, but it became True TV. It became Spike. Mm-mm. Well, Spike is Paramount, right? True TV is what Court TV used to be. Well, True TV. It turned to into True TV. Right, right, right. And they stopped doing the court stuff. Right. And they started doing nothing but. No, no, True TV is. Uh, True TV is. It used to be nothing but the reality. They got the stupid. I think smoking gun and all that stuff was on there. Right. District Attorney Jill Garcetti. I think it's Gil. Or obviously Gil. <laughs> right. 
District Attorney Gil Garcetti elected to file charges in downtown L.A. as opposed to Santa Monica, in which jurisdiction the crimes took place. Well, you think it should have been in Santa Monica, right? How you can how can you file charges in L.A. when it happened in Santa Monica? I think he was arrested in L.A. Okay, that thought wasn't that's where the chase was. It was somewhere over there, right? Yeah, because he got pulled over. No, yeah. Well, no, because he lived in Brentwood, and that's where he got arrested. I don't know. Whatever. I guess. Uh, the Los Angeles Superior Court then decided to hold the trial in downtown L.A. instead of Santa Monica due to safety issues. Of course. Right. The uh, Santa Monica Courthouse, uh, I guess, wasn't very. Uh, it wasn't a place to have that type of trial, I guess, right? And let's be honest. Most likely because Santa Monica is some uh, Richie Rich, Richie Rich right. shit, and they, they didn't want, want that, that going there. on there. Yeah, especially a black guy. Right. This, <laughs> the decision may have affected the trial's outcome because it resulted in a jury pool that was less educated. Oh, wow. Had lower incomes. Racist much. And contained more African Americans. Racist much. Wow. Also, they're saying the. Um, the more African-Americans helped O.J., everybody thought O.J. was um, Uncle Tom token right. white black guy. What right. are you talking about? Right. I'm sure it's be in this. He had pictures of all he had in his house was paintings and pictures of white people. Right. His best friends were white. Right. Uh, Richard Gabriel, a jury consultant for Simpson, wrote that more educated jurors with higher incomes were more likely to accept the validity of DNA evidence and the argument that domestic violence is a prelude prelude to murder. See, I'm not too sure of that. Why? That's the dumbest thing. You don't have to be educated to know. Right. What DNA evidence would provide? That sounds really racist. Gabriel noted that African Americans were far more likely than other minorities to be receptive to claims of racially motivated fraud by the police. That's probably true. Of course, it's true. And I'm sure that um, old Johnny Cochran's going to exploit some uh, oh racial shit you know, coming I know up. That I mean, come on, OJ ain't paying the big bucks for nothing. Mm-hmm. October 1994. Judge Lance Edo started interviewing 304 prospective jurors. Damn. Each of whom had to fill out a 75-page questionnaire. Damn. I would have been like, dude, All right. I'm racist. I'm not filling, <laughs> out, not filling out a 75-page questionnaire. I, would, I, would I don't know, though. In big biggest, letters on the front, I'm racist. One of the biggest trials in history. I guess I, I actually probably would have. Right, I would have like, done it. Awesome to be it. a part of, to be honest. Uh, November 3rd, 12 jurors were seated with 12 alternates. Over the course of the trial... Ten were dismissed for a wide variety of reasons. Jeez. Only four of the original jurors remained on the final panel. According to media reports... I hope the alternatives get to actually sit in, though, uh, and hear have, all the evidence, right? To, yeah. They have to sit in and uh, at least be caught up on a case, right? I would assume so, hopefully. According to the media reports, uh, the prosecutor, Clark, what's her name, Marsha Clark, believe, yep. believed women, regardless of race, would sympathize with the domestic violence aspect of the case and connect with Brown personally. Maybe. See, man, you can't do that. Bi- then you got a biased jury. I don't, I never liked that. Doesn't matter what you do. Right. It's always going to be. It has to be unanimous anyway. So. Right, it's true. Uh, on the other hand, the defense's research suggested that black women would not be sympathetic to Brown, who was white. We all know how black chicks feel about, uh, they're uh, dude dating white chicks. Right. Uh, which it says because tensions with interracial marriages. Right. Both sides accepted a disproportionate number of female jurors from an original jury pool of 40% white, 28% black, 17% Hispanic, and 15% Asian. Final jury for the trial had 10 women and two men. Wow. Oh. They were trying to stack it against them, too. Of whom, nine were black, two white, and one Hispanic. Okay. Okay. Well, April 5th, 1995. 
Juror Jeanette Harris was dismissed when Judge Ito learned she had failed to disclose an incident of domestic abuse. Oh, you can't yeah, lie. You can't man. do that. You can't because then you're definitely biased because then you're going to, your own stuff's going to start playing back in your head. And Wouldn't then, they have, uh, background checked her? That's probably how they got it. Afterwards, Harris gave well, her. Why was she been selected? Well, they in the first place. They probably didn't know. They probably didn't get a background until all that yet. That's why they should do backgrounds like, in, like tremendously before. Well, on the 12 you're going to select. Right. Do it right there. Did we do a background check on her? Oh, sh- no, we didn't. Let's check it out. Uh, oh, guess what, guys? She got tossed around by her husband yeah. in 1991. She got her ass beat a couple times. <laughs> Can't have her on here. Well, Harris gave an interview, accused the deputies of racism, and claimed the jurors were dividing themselves along racial lines. Hmm. Okay. Ito then met with the jurors who all denied Harris's allegations of racial tension among themselves. I mean, there were nine black, a couple of Hispanic and Asian, right? Two white, one okay. Hispanic. I mean, I think they're all in there together with each other, right? Especially women, no matter what color they are. And there were ten women, right? Right. They're all together. The following day, Ito dismissed the three deputies anyway. I mean, you got to. In the case right. of this high-profile man, you got to take all precautions. Right. Which upset the jurors that did not complain because the dismissal appeared to lend credence to Harris's allegations, which they all denied. Yeah, but like I said, you it gotta, doesn't matter. You got to do once it anyways, like, man. Yeah, once there's uh, can't have any any cloud hanging over anything. this at all. You knew this from the beginning. You still let him see. Uh, this makes me believe that Edo thinks OJ is going to be guilty already. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't uh, you? He's not. Well, right. He's not expecting what's about to happen. <laughs> So he's doing anything he can to try to be like, make oh, this fair. was biased. Right. Make it fair as right. possible. Yeah, he didn't see any evidence. He's like, yeah, this motherfucker's guilty. After, like, day 50, he's like, how is this trial still going on? Well, you still have to let them present their cases. Right, but I mean, come on. April 21st, 13 of the 18 jurors refused to come to court until they spoke with Ito about the incident. Ito then ordered them to court, and the 13 protesters responded by wearing all black and refusing to come out to the jury box upon arrival. The media really? described this incident as a jury revolt. I don't remember this. Me neither. And the protesters wearing all black, uh, resembling a funeral procession. Really? So instantly, you got you got tensions already before the, juries, the trial even with starts. The, jurors. the judge even seems to be kind of, uh, mm, why are we doing this? So now you got these jurors... Not trusting the legal system already, right. so and Marsha Clark's already Marsha Clark, right? <laughs> the two lead prosecutors were Deputy District Attorneys Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden. Clark was designated as the lead prosecutor, and Darden became Clark's co-counsel. Prosecutors Hank Goldberg and William Hodgman, who had su- successfully prosecuted high-profile cases in the past, assisted Clark and Darden. So these guys got they got some major guys up here. Hey, man, they brought all the high guys uh, out. Two prosecutors were uh, DNA experts. Rockney Harmon and George Woody Clark were brought in to present the DNA evidence in the case and were assisted by Prosecutor Lisa Kahn. They got everybody. I mean, got everybody. Well, I mean, Simpson's team did have like right. had, seven people, too. They had so. all the, the crooked... Uh, Defense lawyer. <laughs> the prosecution argued that the domestic violence within the Simpson-Brown marriage culminated in her murder, obviously. Simpson's history of abusing Brown resulted in their divorce and him pleading guilty to one count of domestic violence in 1989. On the night of the murder, Simpson attended a dance recital for his daughter, which we know, and was reportedly angry with Brown because of a black dress that she wore, which he said was tight. 
Simpson's then girlfriend, Paula Barbary, wanted to attend the recital with Simpson, but he did not invite her. Well, he was like, I'm going with my family. Right. Pretty much. I bet you. He was I like, bet, well, yeah. we're going to, you know, no, that's my daughter. We're going to reconcile. Yeah. Uh, after the recital, Simpson returned home to a voicemail from Barbary ending their relationship. Uh, if you can't trust me around, right. you can't take me around. You still you, want that bitch. Eh, blah, blah, blah. You've been with me all the time. I still haven't met your daughter and blah, 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 blah. Man, I don't know. Oh, so are they trying to say that pissed them off? I think they have. I bet it probably did. Hmm. According to the prosecution, Simpson then drove over to Brown's home and his Ford Bronco to reconcile their relationship as a result. And when Brown refused, Simpson moited her in a final act of control. Hmm. Goldman then came upon the scene to return some eyeglasses and was murdered as well in order to silence him and remove any witnesses. Afterwards, the prosecution said that Simpson walked into his Bronco. Well, he walked to his Bronco. I'm sure he walked into it. <laughs> Stepped into it. Right. And drove home. Where he parked it and walked into his house. Well, well he snuck into his house because the limo driver was out front. Well, the limo driver said that he saw him go in. Or a dark figure that looked like his body size. Right. Uh, there he took off his blood-stained clothes, put them in the knapsack. Nap. The knapsack. The except knapsack. his sock and the glove. Put clean ones on and left towards the limousine. Why would not put his socks in the knapsack? Well, the glove was found by right the guest house. I don't know about the socks. I don't see how. Uh, at the airport, prosecution said that Simpson opened the knapsack, removed the clothes, Bruno Magley shoes, and the murder weapon, and threw them in the trash before putting the knapsack in one of his suitcases and headed towards his flight. Um, I guess we probably will get in that. All right. Did they ever Find get those. the prints of the shoe, the right. shoes? All right. That's how they know they were Bruno Magley's? And how do we know that he owned them? Right. I don't, I don't know. Well, I guess ever, we're going to come. See, this is what people. I don't even know if they ever found the stuff in the airport oh, garbage. No. That's what they're theorizing right. right here. Well, the prosecution opened its case by calling LAPD 911 dispatcher Sharon Gilbert. They played a four minute 911 call from Brown on January 1st, 1989, in which he expressed fear that Simpson would physically harm her. You think they save all 911 calls for that? Or is it like just domestic it, violence ones domestic and stuff? Violence, or like. Anything is criminal ones. Into a crime. Right. Uh, Simpson said that, uh, I mean, uh, Brown said that Simpson would physically harm her. And Simpson himself is even heard in the background yelling at her and possibly hitting her as well. Hmm. Oh, you know it. The officer who responded to that call, Detective John Edwards. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Testified next that he, when he arrived, a severely beaten Brown ran from the bushes where she was hiding. Jeez. And to the detective screaming, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Referring to OJ. Mm, okay. He was like, ma'am, you're six years too early. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> 
Not yet. Just hold on. Uh, pictures of Brown's face from that night were then shown to the jury to confirm his testimony. Quit trying to rush things. <laughs> Getting a little ahead of yourself, man. <laughs> That's messed up. Man. Uh, that incident led to Simpson's arrest and eventual pleading of no contest to one count of domestic violence, which he received probation for one year. Of course he did. Right. He's OJ. Right. LAPD officer and longtime long friend of. Been out of the NFL by then? Early 80s. Probably the early 80s, yeah. Right. So a couple years now. Oh, he was already making naked gun movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Since 89. All right. Um, Which is funny, and I don't care. I'm sorry. He played a good, stupid guy. When he backs up against a telephone pole and can't get out, <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> LAPD officer and longtime friend of both Simpson and Brown, Ron Ship, testified on February 1st, 95, that Simpson told him the day after the murders that he did not want to take a polygraph that was offered to him by police because he said, I've had a lot of dreams about killing her. I really don't know about taking that thing. I mean, if you're having dreams, right? But I mean, that's still in your mind. I mean, <sighs> yeah, but they can ask him if you have you ever dreamed of killing her or thought right. about killing her. Right. I mean, right. I, that doesn't help him, obviously, but they can also ask, did you kill her? And he could pass that part. You or could not. It's not admissible in court anyways. Yeah, no. Yeah. The lie detectors are garbage. Easily the, falsify easily. and pass or easily. easily be telling the truth and it says and, you're not. And it says you're not, yeah. The jury dismissed Ship's claims after defense attorney Carl E. Douglas accused him of being an alcoholic who was testifying against Simpson because he wanted to promote his acting career. Oh, of course. Oh, jeez. Oh, we're in California, guys. This guy had a great idea. He's like, this is my big break, mama. Mama, this is my big break. Watch me on court TV. <laughs> That's probably the only time he's ever been That's on TV. when he was acting, too. Right. On court TV. <laughs> <laughs> And it was terrible. The prosecution then called Brown's sister to the witness stand. She tearfully testified to many episodes of domestic violence in the 1980s. I bet she did. I'm sure. When she saw Simpson pick up his wife and her her against the wall, then physically throw her out of their house during an argument. Where's the family going? And she don't have brothers or what? Right. She also testified Simpson was agitated with Brown the night of their daughter's dance recital as well, the same night as the murder. Murders, uh, although a home videotape taken immediately after the dance recital showed a cheerful Simpson being given a kiss by Brown's sister. Oh, Kato Kaline corroborated Brown's sister's claim that Simpson was upset with Brown because of the black dress she wore, which he said was tight. I mean, I can see, like, at the recital, Simpson... Of course, they're all like, going to be... Leaning into uh, uh, Brown's ear uh, and be like, what'd you wear that dress for, you little whore? Right. Right. And her right. sister comes in, and he's like, hey! Good to see you. Right, of course. Obviously. Everybody, I mean, come on. I mean, it's not hard to believe right there at all. Right. Well, prosecution plan to represent or plan to present 62 separate incidents of domestic violence. Jeez. Including three previously unknown incidents Brown had documented in several letters she had written and placed in a bank safety deposit box. Oh, shit. Judge Ito denied the defense's motion to suppress the incidents of domestic violence. Why would you? It's kind of like the whole case here. Uh, but only allowed witness, witnessed accounts to be presented to the jury because of Simpson's Sixth Amendment rights. So you can't accuse somebody of doing something if you have no evidence. Right. I think that's what Sixth Amendment is. Sixth Amendment grants criminal defendants the right to speedy and public trial by impartial jury, consistent of jurors. Oh, so they're not impartial. Right. right, 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 right. right. Jurors must be unbiased. Okay, so unbiased jurors. So they're trying to spin shit of domestic violence right, right, and see. claiming he did 62 right. even though they don't have evidence for right. it. Right, right, right. I right. mean, you can bring it up in trial, but be like, hey. It could always be uh, objection. Right, objection, yeah. Uh, sustained or overruled. Sit down, counsel. I'm not going to tell you again. 
The letters Brown had written and the statements she made to friends and family were ruled inadmissible as hearsay. Yes. Because Brown was dead and unable to cross-examine. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, right. She can say anything and anybody can write something. Right. Despite this prosecution... Even had, though they're probably 100% true. Right. Despite this, the prosecution had witnesses for 44 separate incidents they planned to present to the jury. However... However... The prosecution dropped the domestic violence portion of their case on the 20th of June, 1995. Mm, why? Marcia Clark stated it was because they believed the DNA evidence against Simpson was insurmountable. Mm, that could have been the mistake, right? She's there. like, we don't even need this because... I mean, it wasn't a mistake. It's, it's clearly... In any other trial, that would have been 100% convictive, convictable evidence. Anybody else would have been uh, right. in life right, right. now, uh, but prison the for life yeah. right now. But the media speculated it was because of the comments made by dismissed juror Jeanette Harris. Here we go, back to Harris again. Mm. This lady's causing all kinds of turmoil. Well, it's the media, first of all. All right. Well, it's her, though. For bringing it up in the first place. That's a little fishy. I don't know why they, they might would... have been media. They got to her. Right. I don't know why they would drop the whole uh, premises of what they founded their case on. Well, besides the murder, I mean, they, you have to have a reasonable doubt why he did it to lead people that he did it. The domestic violence was the perfect thing. Right. That's the only thing. Well, well, they had blood. His blood was everywhere. Right, clearly, <laughs> so, that wasn't enough. I guess not. <laughs> Christopher Darden later confirmed that to be true. Okay, so it was from Harris. Was it? Yeah, Harris yeah. was dismissed on, dismissed on April 6th because she failed to disclose that she was a victim right, of domestic violence from oh, her ex-husband. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. But afterwards, Harris gave an interview and called the evidence of Simpson's abuse of Brown a whole lot of nothing and also said that doesn't mean he is guilty of murder. So she would see her domestic violence wasn't even swaying that she, he murdered her. Right. Wow, this dismissal. She said that's a whole lot of nothing. And that doesn't mean he's guilty of right. this dismissal true, right? of Simpson's abusive haver from a female juror who was also a victim of such abuse by her own husband convinced the prosecution that the jury was not receptive to the the, the oh, domestic bias towards Simpson. Probably. No, they're saying even though she was a the victim of domestic abuse, she still wasn't buying that he actually murdered her. Right. That's what I'm saying. She was. She's... And they're not convinced that the whole jury would be either. So they're like, yeah, let's drop that. Right, and then she's going to be like, well, listen here, my guy's been beating me for right. 50 years, and I'm still here. <laughs> he, he, he fathered me three children. <laughs> He's a great dad. I'll never let anybody talk down about him. After the verdict, the jurors called the domestic violence portion of the case a waste of time. Oh, so even the jurors agreed with it then, well. Shapiro, Dershowitz, and Ullman later admitted they believed that race played a factor in the jurors' dismissal of Brown's abuse by Simpson. The defense retained renowned advocate for victims of domestic abuse, Dr. Lenore E. Walker. Cochran said that she would testify that Simpson does not fit the profile of an abuser that would murder his spouse. <laughs> I guess there's a, I guess there's a profile of abusers who would murder and wouldn't. <laughs> he may be controlling. He may, it's just, he's he may just, punch her in the face a couple of times. He has so much, he has so much love and there's right. anger because he had never had a father growing up. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Well, Walker's colleagues were appalled by her decision to defend Simpson and accuse her of betraying her advocacy for $2,500 or $250,000 retainer. Oh. That could be it. I mean, $250,000 back in 1995, a lot of money. Mm. Well, Walker was dropped from the witness list for quote-unquote tactical reasons after she submitted her report on the case. In it, she op she opines or opines or opines that the statistic from Dershowitz that the 
that of the 2 million incidents of abuse per year, only 2,000 victims are actually murdered by their spouses as being misleading because Brown was already dead. I mean, just to say only, I mean, that's that's 2,000 out of a million. That's what, 0.2%, 0.02% or some shit? 0.2%? That's a lot. 2,000 victims out of 2 million? It's not a lot at all. It's still a lot. It's too many, obviously, it's but not too, a lot in the scope of numbers. No, if they want, that's why they like to use numbers. And that's why they like right. to use. Numbers. And she's saying it's misleading because in this case, the victim is dead already. So what happened? She's one of the two thousand victims, supposedly. Right. Allegedly. Right. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a dirty one. But yeah, so she arguable she, she did some greasy shit. Took a two hundred fifty thousand dollar payday to defend uh, Simpson, but then went back on it and said, well, actually, that's kind of misleading. Well, this is what they do, man. Obviously, they do. <laughs> that's, why they do. that's why the whole justice system no, is fucked. It's garbage. You can get off by, relatively speaking, not admissible. Not, what do you mean, not admissible? How is anything not admissible in court? I don't care. Unless it's illegally videotaping or recording. Because that is illegal. Sometimes. Sometimes. But nothing should be admissible. I don't care. I don't in, care. Inadmissible. Yeah, admissible. Yeah, everything's admissible. <laughs> Nothing's inadmissible because how? I don't get it. I don't care yeah, because there's a... there's always uh, the topic of relevance. You can't just be like, oh, he he. I saw him yell at an old lady at a grocery store, so he had to have been a violent murderer. That's inadmissible. Well, that's not that's even evidence. stupid. Well, I mean, that's an admissible that's, yeah, opinion. That's, that's a stupid opinion where a judge can be like jerk. Exactly. That's called hearsay. Disregard, you yeah, disregard right. everything you just heard the past two hours. Right. Which I don't know how you can. See, that, I've, not, I've always been boggled about that, too. Like, how is a juror supposed to just disregard what they've heard? <laughs> right. Just because, hey, that judge said, don't worry well, about what that guy said. You're, you're, that's the reason why jurors take three, four days to do a thing, because they're going over all the evidence. They're like, well, you remember that lady was up, but you remember. Yeah, but you remember, we, we can't use it. We can't use it. So take that part out, then what do we believe here? Yeah, still, how many people really are going to take right. that part out when they make their decision? Well, that's the thing. They shouldn't even allow to hear it. They shouldn't be allowed to even continue. Actually, a detailed presentation should be given to the judge. That always is. The judge is always informed beforehand on evidence introduced. Well, then he sh- then, then those ones shouldn't even take place. That's bullshit that he allows those even take place. Just know he's going to be like, yeah, but sometimes they spring up some new shit and then the judge, uh, allow, I'll allow it. I'll allow it, right? I'll allow yeah. it. You, but you better stay on track, right. mister. Anyhow. The relevant statistic was, of the murdered spouses who were also victims of abuse, what percentage of them were murdered by their current or ex-husband? When she reported that the number was 80.3%, they dropped her from the witness list. Of the murdered spouses who were also victims. Of the murdered spouses who were also victims of abuse, what percent of them were murdered by their current or ex-husband? It was 80%, I believe that. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes perfectly sense. And how is it only two thousand? But it doesn't. Of, if uh, if she said two thousand out of two million, two thousand out of two million incidents. Well, that was Dershowitz that said that two in, two million incidents of abuse per year. Only two thousand victims are actually murdered by their spouses. And it's it being says, misleading. But, but it says of the murdered spouses, though. So now you gotta go to the murdered spouses. So that's two thousand. Go down again. So of the murdered spouses who were also victims of abuse, what percentage of them were murdered by their current or ex? Okay. So what out of the two thousand that were dead, how many prior? How many of those two thousand were murdered by their current. spouses? Right. I don't think that's 
2 million instances of abuse per year. 2,000 victims are actually murdered by their spouses. Of the murdered spouses who are victims of abuse, so the victims of abuse would still be 2 million. Because 2,000 of those 2 million are, in, are murdered. All right, yeah, that don't make no sense. What percentage of them are murdered by... So she's saying Dershowitz's uh, stat's not real. Right, yeah, it's, Apparently. it's garbage. Right. Right. So they dropped her from the witness list after that. After she said 80%, right. they were like, yeah, you got to go. You're right. Uh, from his 0.2% to your 80%, <laughs> right. that's a big difference. Now, if it was like 75 right. to 80, man, we can talk. <laughs> I mean, you're 80.1% <laughs> higher than him. <laughs> what? The revelation of OJ's abuse of Brown is credited with turning public opinion against him. The public shock at the reason why Walker was dropped from the defense witness list is credited with transforming public opinion on spousal abuse from a private familial, 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 yeah, familial matter to a serious public health issue. All right, so I mean, I get it. No, I agree with the private private family matter, right? Whatever happens inside your home is. What are you talking about? Before this trial, most most of the public perceived domestic abuse as a private familial matter. Instead of a public right. health issue that it is. Right. Right. So now it now it magnifies all the domestic abuse cases that actually end in murder. And serious right. other saying, stuff. Up, it should still be as I said, it should still be like that. Up until then nobody, that stuff, right. nobody really gave it a second thought. Right. Now, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's in their own home. We can't tell people what to do. And it's been like that for years. I mean, come on, we all know 50s and 60s. Watch 50s and 60s movies. They've basically beaten their wives on the television so- shows in the movies. Obviously. <laughs> you could smack your wife. And, Lucy! And he's like got a fist up their face. You could Lucy! <laughs> you could smack your wife in public and nobody would do a damn thing about it. Right. Well, L.A. County Chief Medical, Medical Examiner, Dr. Lakshmanan, Sethia Vagaswaran testified it on June 14th, 1995 that we Brown's... We heard of that name. Yeah. We just lost a listener. Right. That Brown's time of death was estimated as between 10 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. Cato Kalin testified on March 22nd, 95 that he last saw Simpson at 9.36 p.m. that evening. Awfully Pacific. Or Pacific. What am I, Ricky? From fucking Trailer Park Boys. Awfully specific... I'm sorry, I would never, I don't care. I would be the worst witness, and I would be the worst anything right. if I was on trial. I don't remember specific 936, no, I don't around like, 930. I'd be like, what time? Be, I'd, be, I'd ask them, what time was the recital over? They'd be like, it was over at this time, and OJ, we know OJ left at this time. He goes, well, between this and this. <laughs> That's what I would say. Between this time and that I'm time. saying Cato, though. Right, I saw him at exactly, the last time I saw, I saw him was 936. Was approximately 936, and how do you know that? Well, I, well, I always I look at my watch. Right. Well, whatever. Simpson was not seen again until 10.54 p.m. when he answered the intercom at the front door for the limousine driver, See, Alan Park. There's no, I mean, maybe the limo driver did know exactly what time it was because he's been waiting. Well, of course he does. He's right. probably been looking at his every, watch the whole time. Every minute seemed like a year, so he knows what 10.54. He know what he did right. that whole 10.54. From 10.53 to... Uh, Cato, well, he arrived at the residence at like 10.20-something, so right. he's probably been looking at his watch every minute, so he knew exactly what time. Right. Um... As far as Cato, though, what is he documenting everything in his life? Nine uh, thirty-six and thirty-four seconds. And he probably sits. Hell out of he probably Kato. sits next to the, the window, uh, facing OJ's house, waiting for him to come home every night. That's true. <laughs> Wagging his tail. Oh, he didn't stop by and just sits there and waits. <laughs> and he knows if OJ leaves the porch light on, he can come over. 
Simpson had no alibi for approximately one hour and 18 minutes during which time the murders took place. Allen Park testified on 28th of March, 1995, that he arrived at Simpson's home at 10.25 p.m. on mm. the night of the Moitus and stopped at Rockingham entrance. Simpson's Bronco was not there. He then drove Which over. Which he said that right, he, he knew because of the, um, he saw the street number. Right. And then the cops found his Bronco at the street number that Allen Park would have had to well, yeah. look at when he got there. Yeah, but he has two different entrances to his house here. <clears throat> yeah, but it was at the Rockingham entrance. That's right. where the Bronco was found. Right. Okay. And he tells he, he drove up to Rockingham at first. Simpson's Bronco wasn't there. Then he drove over to the Ashford entrance and rang the intercom three times, getting no answer. This was started at 10.40 p.m. So he's sitting there from 10.40. Took him 10 15 minutes to go over to the other entrance? All right. At yeah. approximately 10.50 p.m., he said he saw a tall African-American shadowy figure. I don't know how he would determine he's African-American if it's a shadowy figure, but right. it said he resembled Simpson. Could have been Kalen. Uh, he approached the front door before boarding towards the southern walkway that leads to Kalen's bungalow. That's so. This is where he supposedly dropped the glove. Uh, Park's testimony was significant because it explained the location of the glove found at Simpson's home. Right. The blood trail from the Bronco to the front door was easily understood, but the it glove was, to the was front found door of the house or to Cato to Kalen. his house. That was easily understood, but the glove was found on the other side of the house. Right. Park said the shadowy figure initially approached the front door before heading down the southern walkway, which leads to where the glove was found by Furman. So there's no blood trail. So if there's a blood trail from the Bronco to the front door of the house, was there a blood trail to the, the from the front the to glove, going over to the, the bungalow? Right. That's what I'm saying, where the glove was found. Hmm. The prosecution believed that Simpson had driven his Bronco to and from Brown's home to commit the moitas. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Saw that park was there and aborted his attempt to enter through the front door and tried to enter through the back instead over back at Rockingham where the guy was at in the first place. He panicked, made the sounds that Kalen heard when he realized that security system would not let him enter through the rear entrance. Well, because, you know, he only owns a house. Don't see why it wouldn't, but... Yeah, that make no sense there. He then discarded the glove, came back, and went through the front... I mean, I don't know. That's got to be the dumbest criminal in the world to discard the glove on your property. No, glove. He knew he had two. Well, the other one was at the scene. Right. Why would he leave that? And why would he leave the other one that could convict him on his lawn? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, guys. That this sounds is like a setup. not right. That now it sounds like a this setup. This is not sounding very uh, plausible to me. I don't care. Right uh, now, no. At first, when we heard the, like the first episode, right. all the evidence and all this, I'm like, man, there's a there's a glove in his yard. But he had the time. But he but he had it in his right mind to uh, put all his other clothes in a knapsack. But right. come, 
Conveniently, he would go dispose of the glove. And just drop a glove outside Cato Kalen. Go all the way back to the bungalow to do that, too, right? right? Get that. Uh, I don't know. Well, during cross-examination, Park conceded that he could not identify the figure, but said he saw that person enter from the front enter the front door, and afterwards Simpson answered and said he was home alone. Park conceded that he did not notice any cuts on Simpson's left hand, but added, I shook his right hand, not his left. Okay, well, now this guy's saying he found, he, that dude went in the house, but Simpson, well, how do you know Simpson he was home? He probably didn't go in the house. He probably was standing outside the limo. Well, and shook his no, hand he said the, the shadowy figure went in the house. Right. But Simpson said he was home alone. Right. So, I don't know. <laughs> I would hate to be a juror on this case already. The prosecution presented a total of 108 exhibits, including 61 drops of blood and DNA evidence allegedly linking Simpson to the moitus. With no witnesses to the crime, the prosecution was dependent on DNA as the only physical evidence linking Simpson to the crime. I mean, DNA. DNA is DNA, right? Right. Or is that still questionable? No. The volume of DNA evidence in this case was unique, and the prosecution believed they could reconstruct how the crime was committed with with enough accuracy to resemble an eyewitness account. Mm, resemble? Mm. Well, Marsha Clark stated in her opening statements that there was a trail of blood from the Bundy crime scene through Simpson's Ford Bronco to his bedroom at Rockingham. And it's all through the house, too, huh? She said, first of all, Simpson's DNA found on blood drops next to the bloody footprints near the victims at the Bundy's crime scene. Probability of error was 1 in 9.7 billion. So they found his blood at the crime scene. Simpson's DNA... Next to bloody footprints near the victims at the Bundy crime scene. At uh, Nicole's house. Wow. Simpson's DNA was found on a trail of blood drops leading away from the victims towards and on the back gate at Bundy. Probability of error was 1 in 200. Wow. That's, that's, that's actually quite small. Well, yeah, the first one was 9.7 billion, billion, though. Right. <laughs> Simpson, Goldman, and Brown's DNA found on the blood outside of the door and inside Simpson's... Whoa. All three of them were on the door and inside Simpson's Bronco. Probability of error was 1 in 21 billion. Right. Simpson's DNA found on blood drops leading from the area where his Bronco was parked at Simpson's Rockin' End home to the front door entrance. Simpson, Brown, and Goldman's DNA on a bloody glove found behind his home. Simpson and Brown's DNA found on a blood found on blood on a pair of socks in Simpson's bedroom. Conveniently, he just leaves them in the bedroom, but took all his other clothes in the knapsack. Probability of error was one in six point eight billion. Mm. I mean, that's some evidence. Uh, how about that? As soon as she said all that. Right. That's some evidence right there. OJ, you're getting cuffed like and you're in jail, dude. I mean, <laughs> the, the trial should be over by then. Yeah. The, the defense should be like, uh, we rest our case or whatever. And the jury should be like, yeah, guilty. Right. And the judge should be like, yep. <laughs> you guys don't even you need no to deliberation be, here. I don't even need to hear juries. <laughs> juries just shake your head. <laughs> wow. Even OJ's like, <laughs> wow. How do you. I don't know. I guess we can go conspiracy theories and elaborate cover-up. Somebody could have got a hold of OJ's blood and dropped it at the scene. But, I mean. Is it legal for OJ, once that happened, once he got released and walked down the steps and all the press was there, he'd be like, guess what, y'all? I just got away with Moeda. I don't think you I don't think you can charge for the same crime. Right. He, can look, I, he can walk down the steps. I just got away with Moeda. <laughs> I just got away with Moeda. I'm just saying. What do you say? Well, hello, Twitter fan. What's how you do it? Hello, Twitter world. Yuju, Yuju. What's he say? It's me, yours truly. Yeah, George truly. George something. truly. <laughs> he was George truly. <laughs> it's George. It's George truly. 
The press is like, yeah, you did. <laughs> they're all like, like from, uh, from fucking um, uh, Little Nicky when they take over the fucking priest. He's like, let the sin begin. And everybody's like, mm, mm, dancing in the church. And you got Harvey Levin in the back. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I don't know. LAPD criminalist and hair fiber expert Susan Brockbank testified on the 27th of June, 1995. An FBI special agent and fiber expert Doug Diedrich testified on 29th of June to the following findings. Uh-oh. The fibers from the glove found at Simpson's home microscopically match the one found at the crime scene, proven they were each other's mate. Both of the victims, the two gloves, and the blue knit cap worn by the killer had hair consistent with Simpson. Wow. The hair in the blue knit cap worn by the killer was embedded in the seams, indicating it was there from being worn repeatedly. So he wore this hat more than once, which is a mistake. Mm. Dark blue cotton clothing fibers were found on both victims. The video from the dance recital that Simpson attended earlier that night shows him wearing a similarly colored shirt. Cato Kalin testified that Simpsons was still wearing that shirt when they got McDonald's, or was it Burger King? Right. But not anymore when he answered the door for the limousine driver. Of course, it would change. Right. He's, he's flying to Chicago. Right. The police searched his home, but the shirt was never found. So he didn't oh, have any oh, other blue but shirt. The glove was house. found. Right. And, and the, the socks. And, and the hat was found. And the socks. And the socks. In his, in his bedroom, in nonetheless. In his bedroom. When he packed but, everything out. But he got rid of the shirt. Right. <laughs> and he didn't have any other similarly colored shirt in his, right. in his closet. That was the dude. only shirt he. Mm. Wow. Uh, hair consistent with Goldman was found on Brown, and clothing fibers consistent with Brown was found on Goldman. That makes sense. They're lovers. Well, they're also stating that the murderer had contact with both of them. Right. Uh, this supported the prosecution's theory that the assailant killed Brown first, then Goldman, and afterwards returned to Brown to cut her throat. Ooh. The hair consistent with Brown that was found on the Rockingham glove was, was torn, which also supports the prosecution claim that the killer grabbed Brown by her hair to cut her throat. Yeah. Fibers that were only used in the 1993-1994 model year Ford Bronco, same car that Simpson owns, were found on both victims, the knit cap, and on both gloves. Dude, that is so crazy that they can just pinpoint that shit. All right, get that fiber off the... So know. dumb. The glove found at Simpson's home that belonged... They're telling me there's no other fibers in the world that was used in a Ford Bronco that was, like, exclusive to Ford. Well, they got, like, their own special fibers made. That year... Nothing Bronco. else in Ford. That year, Bronco in the color blue... I mean, I mean come, on, come on, come on, come on, dude. Seats. Come on, yeah, I don't know. come on. I don't like, know. there was no other fibers. Wow. Oh, clearly there were, right? <laughs> the glove found at Simpson's home that belonged to the murderer had hair and clothing fibers consistent with Simpson, Brown, and Goldman, as well as fibers from a 93-94 Ford Bronco and Brown's Akita dog. Okay. So he has... So he pet the dog first? <laughs> or he threw it out of the way because it was barking and shit, remember? Right. Wow. Well, that's a lot of evidence. <laughs> I mean, okay, this guy. if they can get evidence from a freaking Ford Bronco to the specific year model and all that, Simpson's known to be at this home for many times, so maybe it is his DNA just floating around everywhere all the time. Right? Why would it be on Goldman, though? Well, he'd seen him at the restaurant. No, he didn't go to the restaurant with him, remember? Oh, that's right. Well, Simpson's DNA is there anyway. The DNA just goes around, right? Not fibers. You gotta like physically come in contact. Maybe they did. Nineteenth hmm. of June, nineteen ninety-five. Oh, okay. Here, here's my uh, answer to the shoe print stuff. 
FBI shoe print expert William J. Bodziak testified that the bloody shoe prints found at the crime scene and inside Simpson's Bronco were made from a rare and expensive pair of Bruno Magli Italian shoes. Probably said that name wrong, but I don't care. He determined the shoes were a size 12. Tell me O.J. Simpson only had a size 12. It's not like he was a running back. He wasn't tall. He was a running back. He was a running back. Not like he's tall. Probably like 6'1". Well, it was the same size that O.J. wore. And are only sold at Bloomingdale's. Only 29 pairs of that size were sold in the United States. And one of them... Guess what, guys? Hmm. You guessed it. They were sold at the same store to... Well... We don't know they were sold to Simpson, but... Tupac Shakur. What? <laughs> well, anyway, he determined the shoes were a size 12, the same size that OJ was. Yes, sir. And are only sold at Bloomingdale's. Only 29 pairs of that size were sold in the United States, and one of them was sold at the same store that Simpson often buys his shoes from. Okay. Bodziak also testified, despite two sets of footprints at the crime scene, only one attacker was present because they were all made by the same shoes. Two so sets. there was no other footprints? There was two sets of footprints at the crime scene. Despite two sets of footprints. Only one attacker was present because they were all made by the same shoes. Oh, there was two, only two sets of footprints. One that was leading away to the gate or whatever. And then one right by the bodies. What about all the other footprints? There was none. There was only two. And you tell me uh, Goldman and uh, Brown just well, they weren't. Around. They weren't walking in their own blood. They're flowing. Well, she was barefoot, and she didn't have blood on her heels, remember? Oh, that's right. Uh, during cross-examination, Bailey suggested the murderer deliberately wore shoes that were the wrong size, which Bodziak dismissed as ridiculous. Simpson denied ever right. owning a pair of those ugly-ass shoes. How are they wrong size? Isn't that the same size that O.J. wore? Isn't that what just said? They're saying they wore the size of O.J. on purpose. Oh. Right. Okay. Well, couldn't you determine that? No. If they were bigger for your feet, they, would leave a, they wouldn't no. leave a, right. as much of an indent on the front part because you wouldn't have no pressure on them right there was no there's no toes there well your toes are scrunched up like a motherfucker or if they were too small that's what i'm saying then you had an eight foot guy fucking wearing them that were a size 15 there's no way you're putting your foot in that's what i'm saying you'd had to be too big for the guy if that's what they're saying and they wouldn't leave a good right imprint in the front right yeah i get it i get it it's like yeah i get it well simpson denied he said i never owned those pair of shoes in fact, those are some ugly oh, ass what shoes. He said, well, yeah, that's what he said. And there was only one circumstantial evidence he did, which was that. Bloomingdale's employee, Samuel Poser, anyways, testified he remembered showing Simpson those shoes, but there was no store record of him purchasing them. I'm so, sure he has an account there. Although the prosecution could not prove that Simpson owned a pair of those shoes, Bodziak testified that a similar bloody shoe print was left on the floor inside test, uh, Simpson's Bronco. A similar, though. But was it the was it the one? It wasn't the exact. I mean, I mean if you can get the exact fiber from that uh, from his freaking driver's seat that was placed on the the body, so you can't tell me that shoe print isn't right. the, exact, that's the exact. There's only like twenty six of them right. sold in that size. Twenty nine, whatever. Sheck suggested that Furman broke into the Bronco, left the footprint there. So now they're accusing the, right. the police of some shit. Uh, fabricating here. evidence, huh? Right. He produced a photo of Furman walking through a puddle of blood. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that, Furman. Oh, wait a minute. Was he wearing those shoes, though? Well, right. If like, the, what would that do anything? Right. If he had those same shoes on in the photo, then you have a thing. But if okay, so here Nikes, we go. All right, read. Bodziak admitted that he was not able to confirm that the shoe print in the car definitely came from a Bruno Magley shoe, but dismissed, 
but dismissed Sheck's claim because none of the shoe prints at the crime scene were made by Furman shoes. Okay. Making it unlikely he could have made a bloody shoe print in the Bronco. But yeah, that's what we know of. Did they examine Furman shoes? Apparently, they must have. Well, he has a photo of him walking in the blood. So how there's no prints of his? If he had, what, did he? Instantly... If they have a photo of him walking in the blood, there should be photos of his footprints everywhere. Right. Unless he stopped right there and took a shoe off. Mm, right. Right. Unless he was like, oh, okay. I like how just now we're getting to uh, Simpsons defense lawyers. <laughs> well, because well, we've only been here in the prosecution side right now. Right. Um, and it's it's kind of go back and forth. They got they got a shaky case still. Yeah, they're. Some shit's not adding up here. It's looking. I can understand why the if the jurors are confused because I'm confused as shit. Like, right? Why is one thing here? Why did he do? Why did he put all of his clothes in the bag except for socks and a glove? And I mean, there's socks. Just, he left the he, he left the socks on his bedroom not floor. Not to mention, he already knew he left the glove at the crime scene. So why would he knownly drop a glove there and then leave his socks, but take leave everything out? Socks, but not that blue shirt. Not that precious blue Not, shirt. Or his pants. Mm, or his pants. Or the shoes. But, hey, the socks. Even though he would have taken his socks off, most likely, well, I don't know, they probably were, could have been black, but most likely you would, I mean, if you're getting rid of everything else, you're going to get rid of the freaking socks, Anything too. Anything I knew you're getting rid of. I mean, come on. Get the hell out well, of here. As we all know, Simpson hired a team of high-profile defense lawyers, initially led by Robert Shapiro. That didn't last too long. It who didn't. was previously a civil lawyer known for settling. Right. And then subsequently by Johnny Cochran, who at that point was known for police brutality and civil rights cases. Damn right he was. He brought in the big boys. The team included noted defense attorney F. Lee Bailey, Robert Kardashian, yeah. Harvard appeals lawyer Alan Dershowitz, his student Robert Blazier, or Blazier, and dean of Santa Clara University School of Law, Gerald Eumann. Nice little... I uh, wonder if he was ever blackballed from Santa Clara after that, huh? Dershowitz? No. Uh, oh, Eumann? Eumann. Right now, because OJ is still loved by everybody. Assistant Cockermore, Carl E. Douglas, and Sean Holly. Well, Barry Sheck and Peter Neufeld were also hired. They headed the Innocence Project. Innocence Project. Got a lot of innocent uh, dudes out of jail. Right. And specialized in DNA evidence. Okay. Simpson's defense was said to have costs between $3 million and $6 million. is more likely upwards towards the six. Yeah, definitely. The media dubbed the group of talented attorneys the Dream Team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get any better defense attorneys than these guys. Too. And when you name something the Dream Team, you're going to win you gold. You better win, right? You're going to win gold. Uh, that's so sad that Isaiah Thomas is not a part of either of yeah, these what are you groups. Fucking Michael Jordan. Well, the taxpayer cause of pros- prosecution was $9 million. So for what? Day, for what? Spent- it was $9 million for people that were already on the payroll anyways? He spent less. And the prosecution spent way more. And they but, had, the, but the prosecution, uh, uh, Marsha and all those, are already employed. Right. So they spent $9 million extra dollars. That's stupid, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's not like fraud. So that's like OJ laughing in place. He's, he's laughing. He's like, dude, you guys spent three more idiots. million dollars than me. And plus you have all the evidence. Right. <laughs> right. The defense team's reasonable doubt theory was summarized as compromised, contaminated, corrupted in opening statements. I mean, they argued that the DNA evidence against Simpson was compromised by the mishandling of criminalist Dennis Fung and Andrea Mazzola during the collection phase of evidence gathering. I mean, and that 100 percent blood and that 100 percent of the real killer's DNA had vanished from the evidence samples. How many cases have we seen fall apart because um, mishandled uh, evidence? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I mean, you had that one detective that just walked through a puddle of blood. Apparently, right. Was he drunk? I mean, what's going on? Stupid. Especially with somebody like O.J. Simpson. That should have been, I mean, that's probably why they did it. Right. Any other time, they cross that off and freaking laser beams. They'll cut your ankle off if you go by blood. <laughs> no, not with O.J. The evidence was then contaminated in an LAPD crime lab by criminalist Colin Yamauchi. And Simpson's DNA from his reference file was transferred to all but three exhibits. The remaining three exhibits were planted by the police and thus corrupted by police fraud. Again, this is what the defense is saying. Can we believe that police fraud was happening in the mid-90s? Well, we are just two two years removed from the L.A. riots and shit. The defense also questioned the timeline, claiming the murders happened around 11 p.m. that night. What would the coroner say, though? He said between 10 and 10.30 she was murdered. That's what the coroner said? And uh, O.J. arrived back at 10.56, so... So they're placing him back and seen and getting into the limo before the murders take place. That's right. what they're saying. Right. Uh, Dr. Robert Huzinga testified on July 14, 1995, that Simpson was not physically capable of carrying out the murders due to chronic arthritis and old football injuries. Well, I don't know about that. You're still a big dude. dude. Adrenaline's a bitch, guys. Uh, during cross-examination, the prosecution proceeded... They produced an exercise video that Simpson made a few weeks before the murders titled O.J. Simpson Minimum Maintenance Fitness for Men, which demonstrated that Simpson was anything but frail. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have said that. Dr. Huzinga admitted afterwards that Simpson could have committed the murders if he was in the throes of an adrenaline rush. Obviously, he was. He probably snorted 15 lines of cocaine. Well, we all know that. Uh, well, supposedly they went. And, uh, how come the drugs haven't been uh, right. brought up? That they right. crystal meth that they supposedly. Oh, yeah. uh, Especially I on crystal purchased. meth. Arthritis is nothing. Right. He don't. Feel I've seen. Arthritis. I've seen videos of people on crystal meth get tased by cops and just take the Laugh. taser things off. Right. Yeah. Wow. This is a shit show already. Dr. Michael Baden, a forensic pathologist, testified that the moitus happened closer to 11 o'clock. Oh. Which is when Simpson has an alibi. Okay. Mm-hmm. And stated that Brown was still conscious, standing, and took a step after her throat was cut. Okay, so that all this time we've been led to believe that she's laying on the ground and he stepped on her back and lifted her head up. But, and this guy is saying no. She was standing. But there was a boot par- print on her on back. back. Maybe he stepped on her back afterwards. Mm-hmm. And he she also was, said she was conscious, standing, standing and, and took, took a, a step, step after her throat was but cut. But they said that her feet didn't have blood on them. Right. Well, they wouldn't still. They wouldn't have blood. She's in a freaking pile of blood everywhere. Of course they would. How, how is she going to miss a pile That's of blood? True. That's true. And that Goldman, which was the uh, suspected lover, was standing and fighting his assailant for 10 minutes with a lacerated juggler vein. There's no way. 10 minutes? Ten minutes, unless he was holding it with his hand. I don't. I mean, come on, man. Ten Ten minutes. Ten minutes after the trial. But they said there was no uh, no signs of struggle with Goldman. No, they they said he had defensive wounds, but it was minor. That uh, they thought he was being choked and stabbed at the same time. So, (sighs) do they have marks on his neck from being choked? That's what I want to know. Choking himself, trying to keep the blood. (laughs) I mate. I would be. I know. I I'll be holding my neck as tight as hell. Well, after the trial, Baden admitted that his uh, claim of Goldman's long struggle was inaccurate. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. And that testifying for Simpson was a mistake. <laughs> oh, jeez. 
Critics claim that Baden knowingly uh, gave false testimony in order to collect a $100,000 retainer. Obviously. Because the week before he testified, Dr. Gerdes admitted that Goldman's blood was in Simpson's Bronco, despite Goldman never having an opportunity within his lifetime to be in the Bronco. Right. Which well, is true. Right. Why would he be in uh, OJ's Bronco? Right. Like he's going to invite this guy in. He might have. He was jealous of every guy that... Maybe he did. I doubt it. Maybe he sat outside the Bronco and seen <sighs> that guy go take a break while... Uh, right, hey, come here. Let me talk to you. If you're right. fucking with my wife, I'm gonna kill you or something. Right? right. I don't know. It's all hearsay. It's all speculation. We don't know. Barry Sheck and Peter Newfeld argued that the results from DNA tests were not reliable because the police were sloppy. I believe that 100. percent Right. They said that these guys were sloppy in collecting and preserving the evidence from the crime scene. Well, if there's a picture of a cop standing in a puddle right. of blood, I mean, yeah. Right. Fung and Mazala did admit to making several mistakes during evidence collection, which included not always changing gloves between oh, half of no. evidence items. Whoa, wait a minute here. Not always change. And, and while they package and store in evidence, uh, oh my goodness. Using plastic bags. They didn't use plastic bags. They used paper bags. No, they, they used plastic bags right. rather than them. Why would they want paper bags? plastic can smear and mess up and the shit. Paper just soaks it in. All right. So they used plastic bags rather than paper bags. They didn't change their gloves between cross evidence. Wow. And they do the health department will shut a restaurant down for doing that between lettuce and tomatoes. And you're right. And they're, they're not even changing it right. between blood samples. And they stored them in a police van, which is in oh. L.A., which is probably hot as hell. And it's supposed to be refrigerated for up to seven hours after collection. Oh, my. How do you bungle that, dude? I don't know. They ruined the whole case right there. Wow. Well, this, they argued, would allow bacteria to degrade all of the real killer's DNA and thus make the samples more susceptible to cross-contamination in the LAPD crime lab. Obviously. The prosecution denied that the mistakes made by Fung and Mazzola changed the validity of the results. They don't know. (laughs) They don't know. Right. They noted that all the evidence samples were testable and that most of the DNA testing was done at two consulting labs, not the LAPD crime lab, where contamination supposedly happened. No, contamination happened at the scene. No, the defense argued that it happened at the crime lab of the LAPD. And they're arguing arguing it was done at two other consulting labs. Wow. See, already there. It's just just a shit show of he said, she said bullshit at this point. Just saying that, knowing it was bullshit, though, like say it was bullshit, just saying that it's it's, it's doubt in the juror's mind. Right. Already. Right. Already. When the other two already admitted that they... Messed up. Messed up. Right. We didn't change our gloves. Well, you, you tell me that you went from one collection of samples with to the same gloves? With the same gloves? Looks at the jurors for a second. How did you store those evidence when you got it? Did you put it in the refrigerated? No. Well, they, you know, it was the middle of July or they, June, no, and we, we, uh, we just put it, in, put it in the back of a police van for seven hours. You tell me you put the evidence in the back. Heat probably reached 105 degrees. That's what the guy did on stand, too. (laughs) 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 He felt like he was in the back of the police van. (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. Since all the samples in the consulting labs received were testable. So they say. While Sheck and Neufeld's theory predicted that they should have been inconclusive after being 100% degraded. Mm -hmm. The claim that all the DNA was lost to bacterial uh, degradation. Was not credible. The prosecution denied that contamination happened in the LAPD crime lab as well because the result would be a mixture of the real killer's DNA and Simpson's DNA, but the results showed that only Simpson's DNA was present. 
probably true. Right, but still. How right? I mean, but still, there would be some other type of DNA there. I'm going back to... uh, I'm on the prosecution side again. Right. (laughs) Prosecution also noted... But still, no, because you still got to go back to the mishandling of the evidence. true. I mean... That's a big thing for me right now. That's a, that's grounds of uh, um, uh, mistrial, a mistrial. I would say. The prosecution also noted the defense declined to challenge any of those results by testing the evidence themselves. Well, they knew. Uh, Marshall Clark called Sheck and Newfield's no, claim a that's, smoke that's screen. That's smart, though. Not that they knew. It was I like, mean, no, you guys already did it, and you stand by it. Why should we do it again? I mean, all you got to do is say it in front of the jury, and it ain't up to you. You got that in the jury's head now. You don't have to test it. You don't have to produce. You don't have to test it yourself. As long as you got it in the jury's head, it's all you need. All right. Marshall Clark called Sheck and Newfield's claim a smoke screen, which it obviously was. The contamination claim was made by microbiologist Dr. John Gerties. He testified on August second, nineteen ninety-five, that forensic PCR DNA matching is not reliable, and the LAPD crime lab has a substantial contamination problem, which I don't know. Oh, I yeah, come in. You know what's de- you know what stuff they're putting through that daily. It is chronic in the sense that it doesn't go away. Uh, yeah, he says. Right. Okay. So we got some damning evidence there, or accusations, right? So yeah, we. What you're about to say right here, Gertie's testified that because of the LAPD's history of contamination, he would not consider any of the PCR DNA matches in this case reliable. Because the tests were carried out by the LAPD. He also claimed that consulting... Okay, see if they would have done this in Santa Monica. And Santa Monica would have done the tests. He, they might have had a case in Santa Monica, right? Wow. He also claimed that consulting labs, PCR DNA matches were not reliable. As the evidence they tested went through the LAPD for packaging and shipping. I mean, anything that goes through the LAPD... Pretty much, you got to be case, suspect of, Right. right? Gerties believed only three of the DNA matches to be have been valid, which were the same three the defense alleged were planted by the police, which was the glove. The the glove, the, the shoe, shoe print, print and, and uh, maybe the socks, I guess, right? Right. Whatever. During cross-examination, Dr. Gerties admitted there was no evidence that cross-contamination had occurred and that he was only testifying to, quote-unquote, what might occur and not what actually did occur. He accepted that the victim's blood was in the Bronco and Simpson's blood was at the crime scene and neither was due to contamination. He also conceded that nothing happened during packaging and shipping that would affect the validity of the results at the two consulting labs. That's a lie. We already got the guys admitting it. So he said it for the defense, but when he got cross-contaminated, when he got cross-examined, he's like, well, maybe it didn't. See, the... Oh, the Simpson Brown case. No, man, that that evidence was great. I thought you guys were talking about the Brown Simpson case. The whole jury is so confused right now, dude. These 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 witnesses for both sides are flipping and flopping. Both sides. I don't see how any of these no. witnesses are credible. I think what we just heard by those two guys saying, "Yeah, we we went and used the same gloves." And I think that happened throughout the whole investigation from the prosecuting. It was just we used the same gloves on everything. So well, I'm sure. Is- I'm sure if we looked up other notable cases in LAPD before this, there was probably a lot of cases that were thrown out due to contamination of evidence or something like that. Right. Which I'm sure this guy knows that we use the same gloves as far in a lot of cases. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this guy has bl- this this blood has a. Uh, this glove has blood from a uh, murder defendant from 1968 on it. How is that possible? 
I'm very suspicious, Your Honor. I always use the same pair of rubber gloves on every murder investigation. <laughs> They're my lucky rubber gloves, and I never <laughs> and I never wash them. Uh, I thought it was funny when uh, Conqueror went up there and was like, "The evidence we found on the gloves came back to Ted Bundy." <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, right now because of what we know the story of these two people. It's more than likely the case where you want to be like, yeah, OJ did it. The evidence points to it. But also, a, lot, a couple of things are fishy about the gloves, the socks. The inconsistencies in the, the shoes, story. No shirt out of nowhere. He just don't have a, sh- you know, and then, yeah, and then, uh, not saying that, oh, wow, this is, I'm sorry, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to wait to the end we'll of this. We'll have to give our final thoughts, right? Right. The prosecution implied that Gertie's was not a credible witness. He didn't sound too credible because he flip-flopped as soon as uh, the, sure uh, the hell did. cross-examination came. Sure in the hell did. He had no forensic experience and only testified to criminal defendants in the past and always said the DNA evidence against them was not reliable <laughs> due to contamination. So, so this guy's got a record of repeatedly saying the same thing at every defense trial. <sighs> wow. Clark also implied that it was not a coincidence that the three evidence items he initially said were valid were the same three the defense claimed were planted. Of course. While the other 58 items were all false positives and the 47 substrates controls, which used to determine if the contamination occurred, were also negatives. Hmm. Defense right. forensic DNA expert Dr. Henry Lee testified on 24th of August, 1995, and admitted that Gertie's claim was mm-hmm. improbable. Uh, well, hi- how improbable? Highly. Highly. Highly improbable. Okay, well, prosecution's getting a, a one-up right here, but hold on a second. Here we go. Because Barry Sheck's eight-day cross-examination of Dennis Fung was lauded in the media. However, However. Howard Coleman, president of the Seattle-based forensic DNA laboratory Genlex, or Genelex, criticized Sheck's cross-examination as smoke and mirrors. Isn't that the second time we've heard that? Right. And stated everything we get in the lab is contaminated to some degree. What contamination and degrade, degradation, 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 degradation will lead you. Okay. What contamination and degradation will lead you to is an, to is an inclusive result. It does. Okay. Right. Yeah. What contamination and degradation will lead you to is an inclusive result. It doesn't lead you to a false positive. He says. Yeah, but it does. No, it's, it'll just be inclusive. Right, but right. It would always be inclusive. You're right. not going to get a false positive right. if something's contaminated. Right, 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 right. That's true. It is, so, yeah, all right, I get it. Okay, now right. I'm back with the prosecution. <laughs> the defense initially only claimed that three exhibits were planted by the police, but eventually argued that virtually all of the blood evidence against Simpson was planted in a police conspiracy. Mm, what, what reason do these guys, do the police have to take down Simpson? <sighs> well, everybody loved him. Right, that don't make no sense right now. They accused the nurse of the prison, Thano Pradas, criminalist Dennis Fung, Andrea Mazala, and Colin Yamauchi, and Vanater, and Furman, of participating in a plot to frame Simpson. Jeez, like all a, these guys. A hell of a plot. Framing right? Simpson. For what's why? In closing arguments. Oh, these are closing arguments. Cochran called Furman and Vanater twins of deception and told the jury to remember Vanater as the man who carried the blood. And Furman as the man who found the glove. He did. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, 
we had originally planned over here to do part two all the way through until the end of the trial and the end of the um, murder case altogether, but seeing how this one is a little over an hour already and we still literally have about probably a little over an hour left, we weren't trying to do no um, two hour plus episode, so we're going to leave off right here, right before um, the big accusations of the police planting evidence against OJ and we will pick up next week with all of that stuff and finish the, finish up the trial and get the reactions and all that stuff after the verdict and yeah that's going to do it for us on this episode part 2 of the OJ Simpson murder case if you guys are big fans of history other history stuff we do another show called Battles of the American Civil War where as the name suggests we do we take a look at and cover all the battles from the Civil War, from the first battle all the way up to the last battle. We are currently just entering 1862. We finished up the first four battles of 1862 on our last episode, and we are chugging along with probably arguably, arguably the bloodiest year of the war, 1862, coming up over on Battles of the American Civil War. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back next week for the conclusion of the O.J. Simpson murder trial. And that'll be next week. We'll see you then. This is the Mother Michiganders with Bang and Dang.